Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Recorded live. You're listening to the Sham Radio Network with Minister Kenneth Jenkins. The, the views of peace and nation talk are not necessarily views of talk show. Jam Radio Productions and its sponsors. This is Nation Talk. Your Sunday evening form, Nation Talk. Live public affairs and news program that deals with issues concerning you from the studios of Savannah, Georgia. Conversation call one seven two four 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 thirty four forty four. Call your number five 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 one nine pounds. That's one seven two four 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 seventy four forty four. Call your number five 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 one nine pounds.
hours before it starts. Teach boys early that violence against women is wrong. Learn how at teacheearly.org. Brought to you by Teachers Without Violence and the Ad Council. Violence, theft, drugs, graffiti, it's all part of joining a gang. In times like these, we need to protect our kids and our community from gangs. Gangs often prey on teens with low self-esteem who perform poorly in school and who seek a sense of belonging. Protect kids from gangs. Know who they're hanging out with. Encourage them to become involved in school activities. Give kids a positive alternative to gangs. To learn more, visit ncpc.org or contact your local law enforcement agency. A message from the U.S. Department of Justice, National Crime Prevention Council, and the Ad Council. We are talking about our world today. Oh, and someone's on the line. Hi, I'm Jacqueline. Welcome, Jacqueline. How old are you? You sound so young. I'm eight. Oh, wow. I assume you're a student, right? Yes, from Jefferson Elementary. And I have a question. Sure. And what's your question? We all know the Earth has seven continents that currently carry 193 countries. Those continents make up 29% of the Earth's surface meaning that the vast majority of our planet, 71%, is comprised of water. Taking into consideration man automatically adapts to environmental conditions, why is it that I need to take swimming lessons? Are you ready for kids who eat healthy? Good nutrition can lead to great things. To find out how a healthy lifestyle can help your child succeed, go to mypyramid.gov. A public service announcement brought to you by the Ad Council and USDA. You're listening to the Jam Radio Network with Minister Kenneth Jenkins. The views and opinions of Nation Talk are not necessarily the views of TalkShoe, Jam Radio Production, and its sponsors. This is Nation Talk. Sunday of Nation Talk. Tonight, as you know, the movie Detroit premiered this weekend. What's the real story behind the movie? Also, police and violence. Why is there so much violence between the police and the public in our American cities? Also, we remember Woodstock or as it was called, the Summer of Love. We got news of the week, blank on blank. Of course, your phone calls at 124-444-7444. Call your number, 555-19-POUND.
choice violence, however, that is the subject of a new film. Michelle Miller takes us back. Be mindful this story has some language that some may find offensive. In a hundred places, Detroit is a fire. One hundred square blocks are now under siege. And as you walk through the area, people shot from their homes. Watch out for the snipers. It began early one Sunday morning in late July. Police raided an unlicensed bar in a black neighborhood in Detroit. A crowd gathered. Tempers flared. This is going to happen all over America. It's going to be a hot world, not a hot summer. It's a hot world. A rock was thrown, and the city became a war zone. 700 rounds squeezed off. Now all of a sudden it's silent. Intense quiet. Everybody looking around. The fires burned for five days. You were patrolling the streets yes. of Detroit yes. in the midst of all of this mayhem. It was unbelievable mayhem. In 1967, Ike McKinnon was one of only 100 black police officers on a force of 5,500 in Detroit. I said, my God, this is happening to my city. The fire has been raging for more than 30 minutes. The people have been evacuated, and yet the firemen are unable to respond. You call this a rebellion, not a riot. Why do you call it a rebellion? In Detroit, it was clear, uh, leading up to it and even during it, that people were pretty consistent about why they were angry. Pulitzer Prize-winning historian Heather Thompson. Black Detroiters in particular were routinely singled out for abuse, for excessive profiling, arrests really an overall criminalization of black Detroiters that white Detroiters simply didn't experience. Policing was used to, you know, keep white neighborhoods white. Growing up, Ike McKinnon has seen many young black men singled out for abuse at the hands of the police. He was one of them. I was 14 years old and was beaten up by uh, uh, four police officers. They grabbed me, the name calling, they, they proceeded to beat me up. Was this standard operating procedure? This was SOP for these guys. That evening, I made a decision. I was going to become a Detroit police officer, but I wanted to make sure that those kinds of things didn't happen to me or to other people. But driving home in 1967 after a long night patrolling Detroit's burning streets, McKinnon's badge and blue uniform offered no protection. Two white officers pulled me over with their guns drawn, and I said, Police officer, smiling as I am, I said, police officer. I had my badge. I stepped out of the car. The older officer with his gun drawn, he said, tonight you're going to die, nigger. This is a cop. This is a police officer. Telling another police officer, I'm going to kill you. That's right. Tonight you're going to die, nigger. I see his finger pulling the trigger. And as I dove back into my car, he started shooting at me. I hit the uh, accelerator with my right hand the uh, steering wheel with my left hand, and I drove off as he was shooting at me. What did that tell you? If a person is of that mindset to me, a fellow officer, what the hell is he going to do to the rest of the people in our city? Forty-three people died during those five days in Detroit. More than 1,000 were injured. 2,000 buildings destroyed. Some 400 families left homeless. The Webb family came back to what was their home on Harrison Street to salvage what did not burn and try to find a reason for last night's destruction. Three teenagers, Carl Cooper, Aubrey Pollard, and Fred Temple, were among those who died, shot to death after police raided the Algiers Motel, searching for snipers. These boys were simply caught in the wrong place at the wrong time. There's a bunch of police outside right now. What happened?
happened that night is the subject of a new film by Academy Award-winning director Catherine Bigelow. It's called Detroit. Chats fire, chats fire, near the Algiers Motel. I never heard of the Algiers Motel. What happened there? Had you? No. I had heard of the Detroit riots, but not the Algiers Motel, not the true crime story at the heart of it. Now, let's not be stupid in this situation. Seven black men and two white women were severely beaten, but survived. Their stories tell a tale of brutalization and terror. Spending as much time as you can with eyewitness accounts was probably the single most critical element that grounded this piece. You need to tell me where the gun is. Understanding what it would be like to be in that hallway. I need you to survive the night. John Boyega plays Melvin Dismuke, a black security guard who was also at the Algiers that night. So you had a knife try to go for my gun. In the case of Dismuke, caught between two worlds, the world of law enforcement and the world of the victim. Think about those young men? I think about it constantly. Dismuke still works as a security guard. To this day, some have not forgiven him for being the face of the law that night. I had to move out of the city because of the threats against me. It was just strong. There were threats against you? Yes. From yeah. Both sides? I would, no, I was usually just from one side. Yeah. Which was? The black community. Dismukes was tried for assault in 1968. He was acquitted by an all-white jury. I saw him as a survivor, and yet at the same time, somebody who was deeply wounded by the event. You could see that it broke him in an irrevocable way. Melvin, you want to go home? None of the three white police officers at the Algiers that night were convicted of any wrongdoing. How much do you want the audience to see the collateral damage? These broken men, broken spirits, and broken dialogue, you know, between two very disparate cultures that need to embrace one another. It's naive, perhaps, to say, to think that that's possible, but I, I have to. Fifty years later, the Detroit neighborhoods where the riots raged have still not recovered, though many parts of the city are turning around. Ike McKinnon rose through the ranks to become chief of police in 1994 and served as deputy mayor of Detroit until last year. Where the Algiers Motel once stood, there is now an open field. No plaque marks what happened here. Some say riot, some say rebellion. Some there will be a marker near the spot where the riot broke out and a newly rebuilt park. The people have to connect to their history and understand where we've been. For community activist Marlo Studemeyer, coming to terms with what took place here 50 years ago is the only way for the city to heal. We're really going to move forward. We have to deal with race. We have to deal with neighborhoods. We have to deal with youth. And we have to deal with economic inclusion and opportunity. I think that Detroit is a bellwether city. Historian Heather Thompson. It's every city in some respects, and that's why 67 mattered. It's why it matters that we get it right, what happened, and it's why it matters that we look at Detroit carefully today. Well, that was from CBS Sunday Morning program on the story of what happened Excuse me, Detroit in 67. 
Let's go to the phones. One seven two four 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 seventy four forty four. Call ID number five 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 one nine pound. Mike, you're on here. Mike. Hey, what's up? What's going yeah. on? And and congratulations and hello and how are you doing today? And wonderful, blessed, blessed. But guess what? What's that? Ah, I was there in 2000, I'm going to say, wait a minute, in 1960, 58, 59 to 1960, right? Right. Detroit was one of those places where it was home, away from home, and it was quiet area, quiet place. Mm-hmm. Productivity, you had the, you had the uh, baseball you had basketball there. You had the hockey there. Football. I mean, it was like, wow, this is big time city. Yeah. And I don't know if you know anything about Detroit, but we go up down Woodward Avenue, uh, okay. Grand Grand uh, uh Six Mile Road. Nothing, nothing happened like this. But then. Slight amount of crime, not slight crime, but you know what I mean, a little. Uh, small stuff, but people could people could get drunk. They could smoke dope, smoke uh, pot and stuff, and wasn't bothered. And all of a sudden, when I got out of service in '63-'64, it seemed like the whole attitude changed around when the automobile industry started going down. A lot of support industries going down. Then you had a lot of abandoned buildings and stuff. But this thing in in 67, you know what? Believe it or not, it's the first time I'm hearing about it. Believe it or not, for me, this is the first time I heard about it, too, until this movie came out. Now, granted, I haven't seen the movie yet. We haven't seen the movie yet. But I went back and did some research on the, the riot on 67. Uh-huh. And it has a lot of details on what happened. But but guess what? I thought that, <laughs> that the riot started across America at the same time, and Detroit was just one of the cities that caught up into the whole gamut of what was going on, especially with uh, Rodney King getting beat up and everything back in that same area time. And it's just like a whole nation just went crazy. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, because um, I was just two, three, four, five, six, seven. I was like six or seven years, about about six, maybe Maybe about six years old when all this was going on. Get so, out of here. <laughs> and I didn't really didn't know that much about it, really. Um, although we was in Chicago uh, at the time. We was in Chicago at the time. Okay. And, and to be honest with you, I, didn't, I don't even remember it. I, don't, I wasn't 
I don't even remember it. It's like a total blank to me. Hmm. Until this movie came out. And uh, it's based on... It's based on some events that happened. But it was an untold story that no one talked about. At this at this hotel, the Alger Hotel, which is no longer there, um, of the murders that went on there, it was a shooting. They ended up being a murder. They ended up being a crime scene after that, and uh, it was a whole lot of stuff that was going on. That I think ever since then they just tore the city up. In '67, just like they did when um, the day that Dr. King died, they tore the city up. Right. And the, the, the following year, so he died in '68. Right. This happened. And that's what I thought. That, that's when I thought that the real riot was because the uh, the whole city of Detroit was messed up, and like most of the major metropolitan cities was hit at that time anyway. Yeah. Um, it's mostly like the downtown area, but over the way Motown was at, um, it was it was going on over the time because I was, I was listening to, um, before I went on, uh, it was talking about what happened. This happened like maybe a mile from the Mo- from where Motown was at. And one of the musicians said, one of the musicians, uh, the guitar who, 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 who was on the song um, "Just My Imagination." He was a white, white guitarist. Oh yeah, yeah. And he played with, he played with, um, during during the Motown years, Motown years. And he, he, there was he and some other musicians was in there finishing up some tracks. They watched the they from a distance they saw the city burning. They was trying to get trying to do what they gotta do and get out of there. So they they took their tape they took their <laughs> they took their tape and got out of there. That's when that's when Barry Gordy made the painful decision to leave Detroit to go to Los Angeles. Mm. To move to move both town to LA. About a couple of years later, about two, three, about three, four years later, he decided to move to move Motown to to Los Angeles. The building's still there. Yeah, but guess what? What gets me is that Barry Gordon left the house, right? Yeah. And it built a big, like a big building. It was like a big building, a uh, blue and white. I can remember that. Uh, that big building of Motown. Yeah, it was. That's not it, even. They don't it, even talk about that part. Yeah, it was. It was the Motown. The the the, the studio itself consists of the, the house. Um, I think it was two houses, and then next to it was a funeral home. Used to be a funeral home next to it. So they took up that whole area. I mean that whole area because one of the one of the they they had like Studio A, Studio B was like around the corner from the from from the main building, 
It's like okay, right, right from the main building. Uh, I've seen pictures of it. I have not been there yet. I'll, that's one place I said I want to visit. When I go to Detroit, that's one of the places I'm going. I want to visit. That's the Motown Museum. That's one of the places I want to visit. But, but all this was going on while while these guys were was was going through the song and 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 uh, recording. We were practicing. They took their tape <laughs> and they got out of the studio because they, they thought the fire. They they thought that fire was gonna come quickly. Over there where Grand over you know, on Grand Avenue, where the, where the studio was at. Hmm. Well, you know you're doing a fresh you out a little bit. All right now. <laughs> so it so there was a little. Because well, like what about after the ride though? Huh? What about after the ride? That was just as bad because they used to block off the whole block off maybe three or four blocks at a time, and they go house to house. If you didn't have a receipt for a television or uh, 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 something new, they would take it. Oh yeah, yeah, the the, the um <laughs> the the ones who who yeah, I know you're talking about. I, I can't call it. I, um, yeah, those folks. <laughs> yeah, yeah um, this show, the even show, and I was watching. This before I went before I went on the air, they were showing the buildings of how after the riot it was still burning. In some mm. it was still burning. the The place was seemed like the city of Detroit was hit. Seemed like it was sort of parts of the neighborhood looked like it was hit by by um, by. Mortar shells. Mm. That's how bad it would look like a war zone. That's how that's how bad it looked. You thought LA, it it was nothing compared no, it was nothing compared to LA to the LA riots. That was that really was nothing. That was nothing compared to uh to that in L that that in Detroit. I mean, it was messed up. I mean, really messed up. But they're up there talking about turning, turning the city back around. Fifty years? Come on. Yeah, they. Uh, why? Why yeah. taking them fifty years when they had about three? No, about two. I need at least I know about two black mayors there. Yeah. And all of this time, you mean to tell me you you have you can't do anything to. <laughs> they have to bring that city back to life. <laughs> no, ho- hold on, hold on. We, we're going to talk about that when we come back. Okay. Huh. Mike got a good point. Fifty years later, and they have they still done anything to make to help make Detroit that area of Detroit better? Well, we'll we'll talk about that too. They should talk continues. It is with sound mind and body that I, 
James Fredericks III, after fighting with all direct family members for decades, leave my entire fortune of $32 million to the one friend I had in the end, the package delivery guy, Matt Songer. Woohoo! Yeah! I had a feeling about this. Uh-huh. I'm rich! Oh, this cannot be happening. Actually, it's not happening. What? what? And it never will. I don't get it. There aren't even people here. That's just one of those murmuring sound effects. Seriously? Listen, if you want to have money in your future, don't rely on luck. Huh. Put ten bucks away each month. Cook once in a while instead of eating out. Okay. Pay down your high-interest credit card. Right. Small changes today, big bucks tomorrow. So, no inheritance? Uh, no. Go to FeedThePig.org for more free ideas. FeedThePig.org. This message brought to you by the American Institute of Certified Public Accountants and the Ad Council. And just to be clear, no inheritance, right? This is the story of a boy wizard whose name was Larry Smarter. Larry, why weren't you in Professor Dickie Doodle's mythical creature classification class? Larry wanted to go to college, so he visited knowhowtogo.org to find which classes he really needed. You missed the lesson on telling dragons from dragonflies. Right. Um, I want to go to college, so I'm taking algebra 2, biology, and a foreign language. Foreign language? You mean so you can talk to unicorns? Well, not exactly. Unless they're French. But Larry had no time for unicorns, or even for Miss Petunia Tootie's time-traveling tutorial, which met every other yesterday at 25 o'clock. Sorry I'm late. My stockpile came on into overtime. And he knew knowhowtogo.org was way better than hoping for a snockball scholarship. So, while his friends all aced invisibility, when Larry finally got to college, they were nowhere to be seen. Brought to you by the American Council on Education, Lumina Foundation for Education, and the Ad Council. Have you ever dreamed of being a karate master? Uh, yeah! Well, stop dreaming and start chomping with the karate glove. Hi, my name's Molly, inventor of the karate glove, and I have just one and a half words for you. Hi-ya! The karate glove chops through anything. Just put it on and instantly chop through wood. Hi-ya! Concrete. Brick walls. Hi-ya! Trees. Hi-ya! Small cars. It can even chomp through these eight guitars. It chops things. If I can invent a karate glove, just imagine what you can do. Visit inventnow.org to get started on your invention. Anything's possible. Keep thinking. Brought to you by the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office, the National Inventors Hall of Fame Foundation, and the Ad Council. It's high on time! Confessions of a Potentially Perfect Parent, brought to you by AdoptUsKids.org. I might look like an adult, like a person who could possibly be a parent, but I have no idea how to talk like one. And everyone knows that if you want to be a parent, you have to sound good when you say things like, Don't make me turn this car around, or Because I said so, or Don't make me come back there. I don't even really know what those things mean. But I know that I actually believed my parents when they said them to me. How did they manage to sound so convincing? Here we go. Don't make me come back there. No, that's not tough enough at all. Kids can sense weakness. Don't make me come back there. Ooh, yeah, that's better. In fact, that kind of sounded like my dad. Weird. You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. There are thousands of teens in foster care who would love to listen to you practice your dad voice. Call 1-888-200-4005 or visit adoptuskids.org for more information. This message brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt Us Kids, and the Ad Council.
You're listening to the Sham Radio Network with Minister Kenneth Jenkins. The views of Peace of Nation Talk are not necessarily views of Talk Show, Jam Radio Production, and its sponsors. This is Nation Talk. neighborhood 50 years after the race riots 
bandit. Still still holds. He got super bandit lots. They're trying, look like they're, they've been trying to um, rebuild Atlanta. I mean, Detroit. Rebuild Detroit. The black community bore the brunt of the violence, 
In some cases, Detroit police stood by as white mobs attacked black bystanders and looted black businesses. Eventually, 6,000 federal troops were called in to restore order. By the time it was all over, 34 people were dead. After the war, Detroit was at its peak. Detroit today stands at the threshold of a bright new future. But beneath the surface, things were changing. Car makers began favoring the suburbs, and factories across the city started shutting down. Automation crept onto assembly lines, and some jobs started disappearing. Highways were the future. A construction spree literally paved the way for people and businesses to head for the suburbs. It also helped advance a new government policy. So-called urban renewal bulldozed right through many slums, meaning mostly black neighborhoods. In Detroit, Black Bottom became part of I-75. Many displaced residents headed for historically Jewish neighborhoods near 12th Street on the city's near west side. By the mid-60s, about one-third of Detroiters were black. The police force, however, was still 95% white, and it regularly terrorized black neighborhoods. But Detroit's progressive young mayor, Jerome Cavanaugh, campaigned on change. He had strong support from the black community. Even the police department seemed primed for a major shakeup. Many people dared to hope Detroit could avoid the unrest sweeping cities across the country. As a late, hot Saturday night turned into Sunday morning, members of the Vice Squad raided an illegal after-hours drinking club. Detroiters called them blind pigs, and this one was on the corner of Claremont and 12th Street. That night, it hosted a large African-American crowd celebrating the return of two Vietnam vets. Detroit police were critically understaffed that night. As officers rounded up the partygoers, a hostile crowd gathered to jeer and taunt them. Around 4 a.m., the club owner's son threw a bottle at a police sergeant. He missed, but it didn't matter. The Detroit riot of 1967 was underway. Within hours, the commercial strip along 12th Street was gutted by looting, arson, and violence. The chaos spread to other neighborhoods. By Sunday afternoon, it was clear that Detroit police couldn't handle the situation. By that night, the Michigan State Police and National Guard couldn't handle it either. The federal government should not intervene, except in the most extraordinary circumstances. The fact of the matter, however, is that law and order have broken down in Detroit, Michigan. By Tuesday, Vietnam combat veterans with the Army's 82nd and 101st Airborne Divisions rolled into Detroit with tanks. Over the course of several days, the troops brought the city back under control. The damage was catastrophic. After five days of violence, at least 43 people were dead. But what followed those five days was even worse for Detroit. There was immediate backlash, and as a new, more radical generation of black leaders gained political power, white Detroiters grew increasingly nervous. As crime and decay spread, most white families, and some black ones, fled the city. Today, Detroit has almost one million fewer people than it did 50 years ago. The spot where it all began, 12th Street and Claremont, is a very different place. But like some parts of Detroit, it's showing signs of promise and revival. For the first time in a half century, many longtime residents feel hopeful about the future.
but the inequities that caused the uprising are still very much unresolved. Now their roots stretch back over a century, well before five summer days in 1967. And the scars they've left will shape whatever comes next for Detroit. And Mike was, was talking about after having I think it was two black mayors. After having two black mayors, has anything been done? That's the thing. Now, this is like the area where they did do the they had to strike the um the the riot uh twelfth and Beaumont. Look like it's trying to come back. I don't know how much, but it's trying to come back. Mike, you there? Yeah, Lord have mercy. <laughs> Guess what? Yeah. That was half. That was part not in my neighborhood, but that was a connecting street to my neighborhood. Twelfth and Beaumont. Uh, Twelfth Street, but I was coming down to Woodward. But Claremont came down to Woodward and passed Woodward was Orange Street, and that's where I live on Orange Street, all across from Woodward Avenue. Oh, okay, okay, okay. But they had uh, like on uh, Woodward, they had a lot of businesses, businesses owned by blacks. Okay. And over on um, other street, twelfth twelfth Street, that's where most of the, uh, the hookers and the drug. <laughs> Low life people live, boy. Yeah, you know, it's like a poor neighborhood. All right. Yeah. But that hotel they were talking about. Now I'm beginning to remember uh, about where where it was at and everything. Yeah. You know what I mean? Alger, Especially around Alger's, Alger's Hotel. Yeah. I remember the neon the neon lights and stuff. Well, I used to go all the way over to 14th Street, and I was drinking with the the Temptations. You're kidding. No, I ain't kidding. They had some nice clubs over there, man. Which which the temptations? Uh, I'm talking about the singing the the the, the latest the groups. Um oh my god, which what's the name of them? Uh I forget their names. But I was young then. What back in those days they did not if you came in looking good like a Playboy or a little pimp like they did not question you about no ID. As long as you look look like you can handle it with your the liquor and have some money. Okay. And I would go in there and about like on uh oh like Tuesday or Wednesday, right? All right. And be about maybe ten people in there. I would set up the set up the bar. <laughs> I wouldn't do that mess on the weekend now, right? I would set up the bar, and I was drinking with, with the stars and stuff in there, you know what I mean? Okay. And they used to call me schoolboy. Oh, Lord. Yeah, because I was going to night school because I couldn't get into college, and I had to go to night school to make up some of my grades. <laughs> 
and they called me schoolboy. You must have been drinking like, with Ruffin. Huh? You must have been drinking with Ruffin. It was a uh, rougher than uh, some some old people that uh, that were in their group there. But anyway, it was it was it was, it was, a, it was a thing, you know what I mean? It was a thing. Lord have mercy. <laughs> Thank you. You sitting in there with Ruffin. Lord have mercy. <laughs> oh boy, I could imagine. <laughs> hey, I heard he was. Yeah, I heard he was a trip. Well, I was a teen. I was a teen alcoholic back in them days. <laughs> but I also had money, and I could carry myself. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's why I said when uh, as I could, I couldn't understand about this riot thing, but I knew that they had racial tensions and racial things. In Detroit, but yeah, the police didn't give us too much trouble because over there on those streets, like 12th Street, down on uh, John R. and Brush and all that places, just like down south, if you mind, yeah. if you're black people mind that business, the cops didn't bother you too much. Hmm. You know what I mean? Even yeah. though they, you know, <sighs> oh wow. But it's so sad that all of this happened and there's nothing to turn around because there's no industry there. you got to have industry in order to have uh, progress. Yeah, because um, the um, the um, car industry, uh, it's, it's hard to say about them because it, 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 it goes, it's up. It then is down, and then it then it's back up again, and it's down again. Then sometimes they just shut down. Period. You know, just like when uh, General Motors, right? Right. General Motors and was was the closest one that ran into the Detroit area more or less. But you know, in Ford, of course. In, well, Ford was out in Dearborn. Okay. Okay. And that's that's where that major thing was in Dearborn, which was like about thirty to forty miles away, which wasn't too bad. Yeah. And a whole a lot of blacks uh worked at Ford. But but GE, the Chevrolet and uh Oldsmobile company was more close by. And then you had these other small complex shops that was making different little parts for the for the uh factory and they hired maybe ten or fifteen uh welders or uh, uh, different makers, different uh, piece people to do axles or different things like that. Yeah. But now they start to buy this stuff from other places and they cut these little shops out of the businesses. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so the automotive companies started going overseas and different places out of the uh, different states down south and stuff. So they shut down the Automotive company, so people are not coming to Detroit because ain't nothing there. Exactly. You know? Don't nobody want to come there for the uh, like events and stuff. They had all those big arenas and stuff there. I bet you could get it for cheap, but nobody wants to come because everybody's scared they're gonna get jacked up. Yep. And, and you know something that really really sad is that the churches 
no disrespect to the church, but they are the sorest one of the whole deal because all they are there for their big their self. They, mm. they made money from the jump street because the poor people gave them little them $1 and $2 and stuff, and they put their money in their pocket and did not try to uh, do anything for the neighborhood or uh, their own neighborhood uh, to support the neighborhood. Mm. And that and that's a shame, you know what I mean? All those big, big churches that were there. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And, one, and, and I hate to say this, but one of the biggest churches was uh, Aretha's uh, father's church. Oh, yeah, yeah. R- right there on Hastings Street. Okay. In fact, I walked from Claremont, where the where the ride was started from, Claremont all the way down to Hastings Street, which is like about 20 blocks down, with $3 in my pocket to buy a number because back in those days, a preacher was preaching good, and people were looking at dream books for the number and play the, <laughs> play the number. They probably, you know, still, they probably still do that now. They probably still do because it's the mentality. I, I, they do have, yeah, down south. I, I think they still got them dream books down south. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. I God. just don't know. And, you know what I mean, like uh, the clubs and stuff. Oh, I'm just I'm just going back over it now in my mind, but now all of that stuff is gone, man. Yeah, they had a lot of stuff in at during that time. Mm. But uh, I don't know. It, people, I I guess they're they're afraid to go there. Like you said, they're afraid to go there because it might get jacked or. Something might happen to him. Yeah, but look at uh, Bishop Winan. Uh, he was getting going to the he was at the gas station in a busy place, and they and they uh, hijacked him up, took his watch, took his ju- uh, money and jewelry, and uh, and tried to take his car. You know what I mean? Like yeah. They don't care. You know, it's just a mentality. They're in the broad daylight. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so so now it's like if you in a little, you have to have your own little security force and stuff. If you got anything and money are going going on in there, and now they like close schools down, the neighborhoods are down because, like I said, the, the, the neighborhood. Not working, so the, the whole neighborhood abandoned now. Yep, I've seen pictures of it. It's uh, <laughs> it's gotten to be really ridiculous, really, really I'm ridiculous. So, what's the what's the good what's the good uh, uh thing that could bring that could bring the money back uh, to bring the jobs back? But then you have to train the people. Yep. Then after that, they gotta. Then you gotta try to convince to convince people to to um, bring their businesses there. Thank you. Or take take a chance to. Or take a chance to. 
<laughs> really? But you know what? Now, like like you said, Detroit like was the, the fourth largest city in the United States. Oh yeah. At one time, actually, uh, was well, the first was New York, New York, L.A., or Chicago? I think Chicago was second. Yeah. Uh, L.A. third, and Detroit was fourth. And then you started going out to other little towns, other cities. But there was like millions and millions of people there, man. It was like, whoa, you know? Yeah, and and and, and next to and. Gary, which is next, which is next to Chicago, because you know Detroit, Gary and Chicago kind of like clubs, like all in one, one, like in one, 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 um, like it's all in one area in, in the Northwest. Okay. <laughs> Gary, that was a, they was most most like still, they got Chicago. With this, uh, with steel, then got Detroit with this businesses. So, it mm. seemed like Chicago is outdoing Detroit. Chicago's doing a whole lot more than Detroit now, as far yeah, as businesses. I think Chicago have better, uh, the better type of businesses because Chicago had more, excuse the expression, had more uh, diverse. Racial profile, you know, like more Caucasian, yeah, than Detroit. Yeah, that did. Because yeah. in the in the city of Detroit, per se, was mostly black. Yeah, and the whites were moving outside, you know, outside of Detroit, like uh, uh, Hamtramck or uh, other little areas. Yeah, and and blacks didn't go out there too much. <laughs> yeah. Hold on. Uh, well, I don't know. Those of you who live in Detroit, I hope things get better for you all. Even after 50 years of that riot. Well, when we come back, we're going to talk about police and violence. Why is there so much violence between the police and citizens? And that's how some solutions to it. This is Nation Talk. The views and opinions of Nation Talk are not necessarily the views of TalkShoe, Jam Radio Productions, and its sponsors. This is Nation Talk. Well, I was 
If you would have noticed on Twitter, Michael Jordan's name is trending, and I'm happy to say it is for all the right reasons. I believe we are in agreement with that. Um, as he has said that he spoke, he wanted to speak out now. He cannot stay silent anymore. We'll get to Jason in a minute for the full quote um, on all the things that's been going on in the United States, the Black Lives Matter movement, police brutality, um, the killings in Dallas, all the atrocities that's happened in this country and I know we often don't like to cross over sports and politics, but I feel this is, this is an important clip mm. to highlight when a staple of the basketball industry, a staple of sports in general, has came out with a very, I don't know, just a very knowledgeable and well-thought-out statement that I wish I could just print out and plaster uh, at every Republican convention, every Democratic convention, and just put around every single car in the United States so that people can understand you can actually be for both sides. You say plastic at the conventions where it would actually be newsworthy given yeah, what happens at the conventions. The circus is in town. Uh, as for what Michael Jordan said, uh, and keep in mind also, this comes not too long after, even though it has uh, not really anything to do with this, but they moved the All-Star game out of Shall his team's, uh, his, the team he owns city. Yeah. Uh, so I just found that, again, he doesn't want to stay silent, even though this has to do exactly with what you're talking about. Quote, as a proud American, a father who lost his own dad in a senseless act of violence, and a black man, I have been deeply troubled by the deaths of the African Americans at the hands of law enforcement and angered by the cowardly and hateful targeting and killing of police officers. I grieve with the families who have lost loved ones as I know their, pl- their pain all too well. He used the letter, so this is separate from, this is all from the undefeated.com, by the way, which did a fantastic job with this. He used the letter to also announce grants of $1 million uh, each to two organizations working to build trust between law enforcement and the community in which they work, the Institute for Community Police Relations, which was launched back in May, and the NAACP Legal Defense Fund, which was established in 1940 to work through the legal system to push for civil rights, became a separate organization for the NAACP in 1957, but they are still closely tied, further research will tell you. Uh, quote, although I know these contributions alone are not enough to solve the problem, I hope the resources will help both organizations make a positive difference. In response to the donations, quote, we're surprised and shocked but obviously thrilled, said Sherilyn Ifill, the president and director of the Legal Defense Fund. We've been working on these issues for so many years, and it's great to hear that Michael Jordan and the, his people are aware of our work and are willing to make a contribution. So, uh, yeah, first of all,
first of all, of all people to speak, uh, not just of all people, but in, in terms of prominence, Michael Jordan is still one of the most powerhouse names in sports and media that you can throw out there. I mean, he's probably still one of the most recognizable people on the face of the planet. His career speaks for himself. And this is a guy who, you know, was always quick to trash talk, but ever since, during his career, ever since he retired from basketball, not the most prominent in yeah. new media. Mm-hmm. Like, not long ago, he got, like, the what are those treatment at his own basketball camp, and he literally had no idea what that meant. So you can say he's not the most in tune with the new media sense of it, but it's great when you have, first of all, he said it in such few words, which is important. I'm not going to rip Michael Jordan out of context for this. People can pl- like plaster this in one full Instagram post. Yeah. Instead of what you see too many times is people getting, like, just the the media will warp what they want to see out of a full paragraph oh, no to fit their storyline. No he's clear, concise, and right to the point. Uh, and I think it's great that he also acknowledged that it's not the money that's going to make the difference. It's the act that I'm hoping will lead to a difference being made. Yeah. I mean, it's, the, the part that I took, I posted on Twitter as well, it's just that it's such an important um, message to put across is that you can have compromise. You can have a conversation. You can meet somewhere in the middle and I talked to you about this I mm-hmm. I must blast everyone's ears around our studio like I don't I'm on the main show now and again and I, I don't like to get too involved in politics because it really becomes so hard to bear at times like my head can explode when I see the left use statistical analysis to justify their point and then the right use statistical analysis to justify their point and it, all it is is drivel being thrown back and forth to justify the killings of innocent people that's what it comes to, and I hate it. I, I can't stand it because in this country, it's one of the few countries in Western civilization that actually raise kids on political values. Don't even talk about religion. Like, religion will cross over. Don't get me wrong. And if you relate, raise your kids on religious values, that's all well and good. But political values play such a huge role when kids are being raised. So they're automatically being raised to think, I'm going to choose one way or the other. There's no, like, kind of free choice of being, I, I can maybe see what the Democrats are saying on this. Uh, and, the, and the conservatives are saying on that, I can maybe meet in the middle. And it's so refreshing to have someone as prominent as Michael Jordan to actually state his words is that we need to find solutions to ensure people of color receive fair and equal treatment and the police officers who put their lives on the line every day to protect us all are respected and supported. You don't have to just be for one side and not the other side. And it's great that it's a sports personality who has justified greatness in everything that he has done. He's the man that had the quotes of saying, I, uh, every sh- he's like, I missed 99% of the shots I took or whatever, but it's all about still wanting to take those shots and, one, and the one that goes in counts. Like all those quotations that just are so uplifting in sports to come over and speak probably the most sense that I've seen in countless uh, statements on, this, on both issues where people are just like, ah, the Black Lives Matter movement is just a way to try and focus in on one group because that's the group that's being oppressed. And then the other side is like, all lives matter is a, is a message put across to try and hide us from the overall issue. Like, I don't care. I just don't want, I just want innocent lives to stop being treated like a statistic and actually have a conversation on yeah. both. And someone like him, stating this, is going to get that message out more. That's an important note, uh, especially because, you know, look, you're allowed to be pro-Black Lives Matter and pro-police. It's like what you're pointing out here is like you don't have to like, just because you're standing up for one thing you believe in doesn't mean you're ant like fully anti something else, and that compromise for some reason gets extremely lost in translation, especially with the ongoing conventions, which both sides it's a circus. 
it, it always has been it's since the days of, of the, the beginnings of the conventions in the first place. It's always mm-hmm. been a circus. Like I said, they send 4,000 reporters. But both of these conventions, they send more reporters to these two events than any other events combined in our country yearly, save for probably the inauguration of our next president. And I would think by it's, it's Trump Super Bowl Media Day, which you would think is the most important holiday in our country. At least people think that. Yeah. Uh, and the whole idea is that when you plaster so many reporters in one place, right, they're going to find news. That's not how it works. News is not found. It is broken. It's supposed to be reported. You're supposed to keep that in check. So when someone like Michael Jordan speaks out on this, what I think is great is I don't know if there's going to be a follow-up from Michael Jordan. We might not hear from him for another year. You know, he's not the type of guy. It's one of those things where less is more in this case, and this will ring on, and he made his contribution, he made his point, and I think he knows, move on. Yeah, I made my point, I made my contribution. If this continues to get worse, maybe in a little bit of time, I'll have to do this again. Yeah. That's from TV, TYT, Young Turks. Well, TYT Sports. And they're talking about when Michael Jordan speaks on African-American violence, police brutality, and America. Do you agree or disagree? Okay. Here's a... Emotional Shell uh, Underwood from the TV show The Talk, and she talks about um, over the Terrence Kushner shooting. Controversy and outrage surround the latest deadly police shooting of an unarmed black man. This time, it happened in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and the incident was caught on camera. The shooting took place on Friday night. Police were responding to a call of an abandoned vehicle in the middle of the road. When officers arrived at the scene, they found the car's driver, 40-year-old Terrence Crutcher. What happens next is caught on video by the officer's dash cam. We want to warn you of the graphic content. Here it is. That looks like a bad dude, too. To be honest with you. I think he may have just been tasered. Terrence died of his wounds, and Tulsa police later discovered that Terrence was not armed. His twin sister, Tiffany, is heartbroken and angry. Comply? What what do you mean? He had his hands up. What needs to happen in this case? I'm demanding that that charges be pressed immediately. The footage is there. The video speaks for itself. There was no just cause. He was prejudged as a big, bad dude, and, and my brother was a father, was a son. What do you think it'll take to stop racial profiling? 
Wow. I mean, I wish any of us could answer that question, right? It's, this is like a new low to me. It's so disheartening that he didn't have a weapon. He didn't have any drugs. He didn't have any behavior that was alarming. His arms were up. I don't understand. There was like practically seven police officers there or something. Why this officer could have interpreted this as a threat is so beyond me. I mean, I don't know. Maybe too often there is paid leave. I don't know if it needs to be, you know, prosecuting when someone uses such poor judgment like this. I mean, that's the only thing I can do. I think there are two things to think about, which is, first of all, as you said, he was complying. He was tasered. You can't tell from these videos, but what it seems like, and this is allegedly, is that he was actually shot when he was already on the ground, which is really alarming. Oh. Um, we also remember a recent case, and I don't have the names. I think it was in Florida, of a guy who was a, a therapist working with a guy with autism. Yeah. Yeah. He's on yes. the ground, yes. on his yes. back with his arms yes. raised, yes. and they shoot him. When he asked the cop, why did you shoot me? The cop said, I don't know. Right. So what we have is, look, this is hard to talk about. This is hard stuff to talk about. But we have a legacy of racism in this country. And if we don't start calling it racism, then we can't fight it. We have to see what it is. Cops have to be trained differently. If this had been, you don't have to train the police not to shoot white people. Why you got to train them not to shoot us? But Valley, I'm saying everything has to be confronted. Everything has to be confronted. Because when you see a high speed, I was a high speed chase recently in L.A. with a with a, a Caucasian woman. She went through several counties. She ran into cars. She ran up on the road. When they took her out of the car, they gently removed what looked like a cell phone and gently handcuffed her. If that had been a black man, he would have been face down on the pavement without one second of conversation. We have to change how we see each other, and we cannot do that until we say what it is, which is that racism. And, and fear of black men specifically drives these shootings. We have to change as a nation. Look, but fundamentally, but I know we gotta go to break, but first thing you gotta do, you gotta make it a hate crime. You gotta make it, you gotta put people you in jail. When you shoot somebody under the color of authority, you don't you need to lose your job and you need to lose your livelihood and you need to lose your freedom. Like every other American loses yes. their freedom. Consequences. That, that's need right. Consequences. You need to be But remember, there are good police there are officers out there. And the ones that are not, they need to go to jail. Yeah. They need to go to jail. And don't tell me this. We got to train. Y'all white. Y'all drive all the time and don't nothing happen to y'all. And we black. And I'm afraid to drive my damn car because if they don't know who I am, I can be shot. Until y'all feel that, this ain't never going to stop. Until you all Steel Wolf says, might have something to do with disparity in crime, crime rates. Sounds like a bunch of self-pity to me. No, it's not self-pity. It's not. It, it, it happens with these police officers. It does. It do happen. It does happen on an everyday basis. 
Why? I don't know. Why some well, why some get stopped and did others? No, no, that no, that was um, Shell Underwood from the talk. No, that was a Whoopi Goldberg, but knowing Whoopi, she will say, knowing her, she will say something to that point. Uh, listen, everybody, hold on. We'll take a minute. We're gonna talk about this. This is nation talk. Is this radio spot where Nikki Baker's life it would start pretty normal, like this? But, but then, then right around here, her life would take a bad turn with her mother abusing her. And about this far in, Nikki would drop out of high school and run away. Here, she'd be forced to work two jobs struggling to support herself and her daughter. She'd feel stuck, stuck, stuck. But then she'd decide to earn her GED diploma. She'd take my prep classes. Study every night and feel unstuck. Because she finally hears someone say, Nikki Baker, come up and get your GED diploma. If this radio spot were Nikki Baker's life, the ending wouldn't be the ending at all. It would be the beginning of a brighter future. For free info about GED test prep classes, call 1-877-38-YOUR-GED or visit yourged.org. GED is a registered trademark of the American Council on Education. Brought to you by Dollar General Literacy Foundation. Teach boys early that violence against women is wrong. Learn how to start the conversation at teachearly.org. Watch you by Futures Without Violence and the Ag Council. You're listening to the Jam Radio Network with Minister Kenneth Jenkins. If you write anything on your computer, you need to get Grammarly. I write pretty much all day, every day, and Grammarly makes my writing better. As a student, I like that it's... Okay, I'll respond. 
first of all, it's not all of our people that does the so-called 2% of the population or the 50% of the violence, or however you might say it. Some of it, some of it, yeah, is us, and and some and the other part of it is the police. That's how I look at it. That's how I look at it. Let me get let me get let me get somewhere else to weigh in on this. Mike, what what's your response to it? Mike. I'm about to cry. Because that is so sad. You know what I mean? It's so I thought everything was winding down, things were getting a little bit better. But as you look around, it's not getting any better. It's seeming to get any worse. Mhm. And what makes it so bad? It's not just big cities; it's just like it's all over. Yeah. I live in a place where we had the we are the largest city in Connecticut, right? Right. Predominantly black, mostly. Stanford. Uh, black right? and black and Spanish, right? Uh, now, Stanford. Yeah, in Bridgeport. Bridgeport, okay. Bridgeport, right. Dig this. We have the malls are in the suburban area, neighborhood, right, where there's not too many of us there. Important businesses are in the suburbs where not too many of us there. Not any of us are there. You know what I mean? Right. Even, even Walmart is not in Bridgeport. Well, anyway, what happens when you go to the mall in these suburban cities, they will follow you, pull you over. It's profiling. It's for why? What's up? You don't have to be speeding. You don't have to have loud music. You just have to be black. Go into these little towns to tend to take care of some business. Uh, even the car dealers are mostly in suburban areas. They have two car dealers in Bridgeport. One. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You want to go buy a car, you got to go out of town to a, uh, unless you go to one of these little small side jobs. Go to a real legitimate dealer, you got to go out of town to one of these suburbs. Now, tell me that is what's the reason? It's the attitude. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And for these cops, see you walking down the street and stop you uh, to harass you and talk junk is really ridiculous. And when that and that officer, when he first came on, was talking about how he identified himself as a police officer, and they still shot at him, other policemen. Yeah. Now that. <laughs> Now that is that's disturbing. If if these guys that are in the military or whatever start to retaliate 
like the uh, Black Panthers were doing, then you'll see a big change. A sniper plus sniper plus sniper. You know what I mean? Yep. So if they start just shooting at the black uh, the cops, but shooting at us, I bet you there'll be some change. But guess what? Only about one or two percent of the blacks have really legal guns. Where you got about sixty percent of them have legal guns. Yeah, cause 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 some of the guns do we get that some of our people get are illegal. That they buy from they buy it from somebody that in some dark alley somewhere or, or at some place to get it from them. Yeah. Oh, you know what I mean? But the average homeowner, black, does not care to have a firearm. No. Hold on, man. Let's see. Um, you know, who can go with like white men? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, Well, everybody's everybody's everybody is have their own opinion about people. Oh yeah, we got hypocrites everywhere. Did you see how how that lady was on the show on the show was uh, talking about how they should be trained? Yeah. Come on, just like just like Cheryl said, you don't have to train a cop not to shoot a white person. Exactly. So they're gonna shoot him anyway. You know what I mean? But why not have the people do your job? And if you don't do the job. You have to face the consequences. That's what the law should be about. And they're covering up. And sometimes the police uh, cover up. Well, sometimes they get together and stick to what stick to. The, yep, the, the story. The story mm. of how it was. Sometimes it's factual, sometimes it's not. Sometimes, but not all the time. Right. Now, again, there are some good cops out here. There are some good cops. But it's just, just those ones that comes out that that harasses people. And I've been harassed, I don't know, so many times, too. I can't count on my own hand by the police. I have. Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah. When I was in Miami, when I, and even here. So it, 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 I don't know what, I don't know what, if it's by looks or what. <laughs> Or of how I look or whatever. I don't know where it is. 
it, this, I guess to see there uh, some kind of threat, but how can I be a threat to someone? I, I'm barely a threat to a roach. You're a threat because you're black, that's all. Exactly. I don't get it. But well, we need we need Jesus real bad, real bad. Yeah. Still was, you know, you you got this awkward opinion about people. And you really don't know that particular person. But you are but you are entitled to your own opinion. Yeah. I'm entitled to my own opinion. My kids, anybody else who's on this program, they're entitled to their own opinion on on any subject that we have. Okay, now I'm gonna turn the page now. I'm going to turn the page. Okay. Now, it's been now 50 years since Woodstock. Mm. It's been 50 years now. And, uh, I remember some about something, some of of Woodstock, but here is some. Here are some highlights from Woodstock that I haven't heard in fifty years.
rationed for three days, and today they sounded the retreat and headed for home. The sponsors said it was going to be three days of peace and music. It was that all right, and much more. Estimates of the crowd ranged up to more than 300,000, and it was that size that caused most of the trouble. That and the rainstorms that turned the big dairy meadow into a mud farm. The big problem was that no one, no one had even the slightest notion that they would come in such numbers. Today, wearied but still light apart, they huddled their masses and set out for home. And they headed in every direction. As one official pointed out, with 300,000 people, you are not dealing with just a crowd, but virtually a city. And as a city, it had city problems. One youngster died of a suspected overdose of heroin. Eighty others were arrested on drug charges. Another boy killed when the driver of a tractor failed to see him inside a sleeping bag. One of the promoters says he wouldn't try this again unless he could rent the Grand Canyon. He may have to. Already there are threats of lawsuits from local business people who called it a disgrace. The kids said it was just great. And so it's all over except for the massive cleanup job that remains. The Woodstock Music and Art Fair, having done its thing, quietly folds its tent and steals away. Till another day. Richard O'Brien, CBS News, White Lake, New York. A minute for now, CBS News correspondent John Lawrence with an analysis of the White Lake phenomenon. Now that women have a diet good tasting enough to stay on, the men are reacting. They're leaving for the office later. They're coming home from the office earlier. Some are showing up for lunch. Others have even given up Tuesday night bowling. Slender from Carnation. 225 good tasting calories mixed with milk. Good work, girls. Chester? Uh, Chester, it's me, Mr. Friskies. Running away from home, huh? Yeah, how come? The Johnson's will miss you. You want more flavor in your food? More variety, too? Open the glove compartment. See? Friskies canned dog food. Real meat, real liver. And... Come on, Chester, I'll take you home and tell your folks to get all three. Friskies real meat, real liver, real chicken flavors. We'll never leave home again. What happened at White Lake this weekend may have been more than an uncontrolled outpouring of hip young people, struggling as they did to survive. First, the 20-mile traffic jams and five-mile hikes. Then the intense heat and sudden rain, the thirst and hunger from the shortage of water and food, just for the opportunity to spend a few days in the country getting stoned on their drugs and grooving on the music. What happened at White Lake was that hundreds of thousands of kids invaded a rural resort area totally unprepared to accommodate them, among adults who resent and reject their youthful style of life, and that somehow, by nature of old-fashioned kindness and caring, both groups came together in harmony and good humor, and all of them learned from the experience. For adults who were there, it was a revelation in human understanding. They had not been aware, as the kids are, of the gentle nature of young people to one another. 
These long-haired, mostly white kids in their blue jeans and sandals were no wide-eyed anarchists looking for trouble. Despite the overt appeals for violence by the few political radicals among the crowd, they remained polite, passive, and finally, as the area was saturated, helpless. At that point, the residents of the area, learning of the emergency, began to respond. Housewives handed out hot coffee to stranded youngsters who had not eaten in days. Catholic nuns passed around sandwiches made by Jewish mothers. And the police, many of them from the violent precincts of New York City, invoked the law of practicality and allowed the kids the freedom to take their drugs in public. So many people were smoking pot, the police explained, there were not enough jails to hold them. A situation to remind an older generation of conditions 35 years ago under which alcohol was legalized. So that what was learned at White Lake was not that hundreds of thousands of people can paralyze an area and break the law, but that in an emergency at least, people of all ages are capable of compassion. And while such a spectacle may never happen again, it has recorded the growing proportions of this youthful culture in the mind of adult America. Walter? And that's the way it is, Monday, August 18, 1969. This is Walter Cronkite, CBS News. Good night. Time now for our special segment, Blank on Blank. A special segment. This special segment is presented by PBS Digital Studios with lost interviews of famous artists, etc. Tonight, Blank on Blank interview with Dolly Parton.
open and honest. I mean, there's not just a, a lot I won't tell you. I think most people appreciate the, the fact that you will just be open and honest rather than, you know, putting you down by saying, well, don't ask silly questions. I wouldn't say that if you asked something I thought was a silly question. I would just All right, here we go. When did you first use the first photo? <laughs> don't ask silly questions. Uh, are you serious? Like that, 
if we wanted to do something, Mama just always said, you be what you are, and you don't have to wear that mask. If you want to say something, you say it. To whoever. If you want to say something, just tell them. And I always do, and I sure do.
it it the, the way you guys set up is nice. It's really not bad at all. I like that. Thank you. Not bad at all. How long you been doing that? How long? Yeah. Nineteen twenty years now. What? Yeah. Wow. Not bad. Thank you. Not bad at all. So yep. Again, you can listen to his, you can watch his program from 5.30 to 6.30. Uh, townview.org. Or you can go on his Facebook page, Michael Jones. And yep. You go on his Facebook page and you can view it. That's how I, that's how I did it. I did catch the first, I did catch, take the middle to the end of it. Okay. That's, that's when I that's when I caught it there. Good. Is there any, a yeah. little bit is better than none. Yeah. Well to all oh, your did you get my message about your uh, about your uh, ending? Oh <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I I got it queued up I I'm I got it queued up. Ready, ready after the after I go off the air. Got it ready and queued up. Something, I, something I want to do. Something, something different. Something different. Okay. Sounds good. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't heard a sign off like that in in years. It's been a long You're time. Patriotic. Yeah. It, it, now they got twenty four hour TV, so they they don't go off the air now. They just stay on. They just be on twenty four hours now. <laughs> well, you you have a good week. Thank you. You hopefully, also. And hopefully, I'll get a chance to. I hope I'll catch you. If I, if I do not run around with my head chopped off. <laughs> All if, right, then. if I'm not. I may try to catch you, or if I'm, or if I'm up, because I took a I took a, a nap in the afternoon before I go, cause I gotta go right back to work, and you know in the evening, so eh, I'll be able to catch it one way or another. Okay. All right, folks. All right, have a good day. All righty, and peace to the viewers. All right. Yeah, Wolves, thanks, thanks for coming in. And no, no, and no, still Wolves. But I thank you for coming in anyway, still Wolves. For your opinion, uh, hey, everybody's a Everybody has their own opinion. Agree to disagree. Here's the opinions of Nation Talk a lot less than the views of Talk Shoot J Radio J Radio Productions and its sponsors. J Radio Nation Talk is a public affairs program and news program that are, that's aired Sunday nights at 8 p.m. 
Easter time. Be sure to to, to uh, join us next Sunday for another nation talk here on Talk Show and Jam Radio. Thank you all for listening. Tune in. Good night and God bless. Our national anthem. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.